Well, good, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. Well, welcome, everybody, especially the kids. What a blessing to have them with us today, right? Yeah? God says to enter the kingdom of God like a child, so it's a blessing that we have them today. Um, we're finally in the last chapter of Romans. We finally made it. Chapter 16. Some of you are barely old enough to remember when we started. Dave spoke a couple weeks ago talking about we're on the final descent in Romans. A take hold. May, yeah, we see the landing strip now. We're buckling up our seatbelts, but don't lose interest here. This chapter 16, there's a lot, lot in here to glean from. So I've titled this Greetings, Love and Affection. Yeah, don't lose hope yet. There is a lot of deep theological love and joy in this chapter. In the first 15 chapters, a lot of it was very explicit about what Paul was talking about. But this chapter here is very implicit. It's implied about the love of Jesus Christ here. Now, before we go forward, I want to take a step backwards. And I'd like to, to read in uh, chapter 12. Dave spoke in February. If, uh, if you didn't hear the sermon, you can go back. You go back on the city and under sermons. So we're going to go ahead. It's Romans chapter 12, 9 through 16, if you'd like to open. I'd like to start off with this. I want you to remember these words as we get into our chapter today. So Romans 12, verse 9 through 16 from ESV. It says, let, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Weep and, and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word that you set before us, that goes before us to prepare a path for us to walk in. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you come now, open the eyes of our hearts to your divine inheritance that you have in the saints, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to your wisdom and understanding, that we would glean wisdom this morning from this passage here, that we would all walk in a manner worthy of you, bearing fruit with every good work which you have prepared for us to walk in. And now I just thank you, Lord, and we just praise you in Jesus' name. Hey, I got a question for the kids here. What is the greatest commandment that Jesus talked about? You got what's the greatest commandment? Anybody? Okay, that's one of them. Jacob. Yeah, that's yeah, that's one of them, but what's the greatest commandment? Okay, that that, that would that would be a good one here. There you go. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Pretty easy enough. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love our neighbors as ourselves. That's brotherly affection right there. You guys did a good job. Church dismissed. Thank you. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Wait a sec. Yeah, stay here, Ben. I know. Hey, I wish it were that simple, but you know God never says life is going to be this easy. In fact, in John chapter 13, Jesus even says, you will have trials, you will have tribulations in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
You know, in Ephesians, Paul also says that the same power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that works in us. And now, if you remember in Acts, Paul was beaten, he was stoned, he was left for dead. And what did he do? Did he give up? Did he quit? No, he came back the next day, and you know what? He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, to his disciples, they were strengthening one another, but they fervently prayed and they fasted with each other. Now, it sounds like they were doing church to me. Now, how about this opening passage that we just read? Do you guys think it's overwhelming? Who thinks it's overwhelming? Yeah, who thinks, who rejoices with joy when they see it? Okay, well, I'll tell you, this glass right here is full of water. Who would say that this is a glass half full of water? Okay, who would say it's half empty? Okay, can't raise your hand twice. (laughs) Well, just something I just want to take note, and it's not to shame anybody here, but Romans 12, 2 says not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The world would have you believe that that glass is half empty, that you need more, you need to strive for more. But you know what? In Christ Jesus, we've been given everything. In fact, Christians around the world would not only see that as half full, but they, that they would see it as full. Peter, Second Peter says that his divine power has given us everything which pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, he has overcome the world. We have one who is greater than the world. And that, that uh, the same power that rose him from the dead is the same power working with us. Well, you can see why our title sermon, the sermon of this series is called Colossal Truth. I mean, just in this passage alone that we read, there are some big monumental life truths. But what does it mean? Have you guys really stopped to see what does it mean to let love be genuine? Or how about love one another with brotherly affection? Or how about bless those that persecute you? Well, when we look at these statements on the surface, we have an idea what they mean. But really, when we begin to dive deep into God's word, it can only open to us a new way of not just looking at who we are and the way that the world is, but it opens up to us the amazing, complex reality of who God is and the simple relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And really, when you look at these statements, they actually they embody who Jesus Christ is. So if you think about it, Jesus Christ is the one who loves genuinely. He's the one who loves with brotherly affection. And he's only able to bless others who persecute him. So when you embody who Jesus Christ is, have a personal relationship with him, we will embody those truths as well. So I see it's exciting when you read a passage like that because it's Christ doing the work in us. It's not ourselves. And you know what? Christ did not leave us alone to fight the good fight of faith. Do you know that Jesus Christ, he has built his church? You know everybody here, he is strategically placed in this church to build each other up, to strengthen each other. He uses your gifts. So it's a blessing that you are here today and every Sunday thereafter. You know, even in Hebrews 10.25, it says, Consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works and to not forsake meeting together. There's a reason he tells us to meet with one another. We all need the encouragement, not only weekly, but daily. Now, I ascribe to you, this morning should be a glimpse of what heaven will be like. As we're with our brothers and sisters, we're worshiping Jesus Christ, then we'll be in our glorified bodies, we'll be completely refreshed, and we will see Jesus face to face. So this time of the week, we should look forward to, it should be an honor to be with our brothers and sisters and and, uh, be with the family of Christ, as we're being refreshed from the stains of the world.
Well, you might ask, what does this all have to do with today's passage? Well, I'll tell you. Paul has been systematically explaining to us how we are completely lost and ruined without the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Jesus is the only one that redeems us. He's the only one that makes life possible and to have a certain hope of eternal life. And it's not just a possible hope, it is a certain hope of eternal life. As we come to this last chapter, uh, it is only by knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior that we can truly have a love and affection for one another and that we'll be able to encourage and exhort each other to continue on to fight the good fight. Now Paul has constantly exhorted, he's encouraged, and he's spoken the truth about where we have come from and to where we are going and how to continue on. From ruins to redemption to rejection to responsibility, he now begins to personalize this letter. He makes it real to those who are reading the letter. And just as one day shall happen, the book of life will be opened up, And your name will be read with a greeting from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. So here we have, uh, this is the passage. This is actually all of chapter 16. Uh, Notice, what's the key word that's underlined here, or bolded? Greet, yes. So this passage is is used 22 times. And the Greek word, it's an action word. It actually means to salute, to wrap your arms around, to welcome in. How many of you, when you see your brother and your sister, you're like, hey, what's up, bro? Yeah. Or is it, man, it's good to see you this week. And that should be the case. You know, especially back then, they were being persecuted for their lives. A lot of them were, not only was it just, um, maybe they weren't going to eat, but the possibility of real death. So how encouraging it is when we come from the world, we're getting our feet wet, we're getting them stained, and to come back here to be refreshed from one another, to encourage and exhort each other that, hey, we're all going through this struggle together. We are not alone. So I encourage you, as we read this passage, um, I know it could sound kind of tedious, but I want you to remember, most likely, well, it is, we will see these people in heaven. So I want you to prepare as we read Romans 16, 1 through 16. Follow along. It says here, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many as well as myself. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I gave thanks to for all the churches of the Gentiles, but the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristopolis. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephina and Trephosa. Greet the, beloved, greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. 
So as you can see, there, there are lots of names here, lots of greetings. But what's the unique thing about this? Is that Paul calls everybody by name. He calls them beloved. He calls them kinsmen. He calls them brothers, sisters, fellow workers in Christ. Now, as much knowledge and wisdom as he knows about doctrine and theology, it would all be for naught if he did not show the side of God, which deeply cares for each and every one of you. And Paul backs this up, not only for the love of his friends and his family in the Lord, but he also backs it up for those that are called by the name of Christ that he doesn't even know. He's heard of by reputation, but he's encouraged that they are following after Jesus. Now, if you think about this for a moment, it's quite amazing. Here's a man, Paul. He was beaten many times. He was left for dead. But you know what? He considered it all joy because he knew the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to us who believe in Christ ourselves, we have that same expectation. You know, this joy was evident in the way that he greeted his brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you know what? It's interesting. This passage, uh, some theologians even think that maybe this was an addendum to Romans, that this maybe was maybe even meant for someone else. People have tried to discredit this because they think this isn't Paul. But really, when you look at the rich teaching of Paul and who he is and how much he loves his brothers, I think of it in Rome, when he first starts off this letter, he comes to say that we might have a mutual gift of encouragement. It's not that just Paul is, hey, come learn from me. I got all this knowledge. He's saying, no, we benefit mutually from each other. I'm blessed by you guys being here. That's basically what Paul is saying. Paul is writing this letter to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. They are a community of believers rich in diversity, but no, they are united by one thing and one thing only, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's greetings, are, they're not just to the wealthy, they're not to Jewish men, but they're greetings to men and women, rich and poor, Jews, Gentiles, and Greeks, as well as slaves and freed slaves. He encompasses everybody. His greetings are for those he loves and has affection for in Christ Jesus, and he longs to see them again. And something else is unique about this passage the 29 people specifically he mentions, as well as others, there's 27 mentioned by name. But one of the remarkable things on this list is the number of women he mentions. He mentions 10 women, eight by name. Remember, at this time, women were not considered on equal ground with men. They were really considered second-class citizens. Now, I know we still have gender equality issues today. Um, we have a lot to be fighting for. But women in this social atmosphere at this time, they were second-class citizens. It was unheard of. This is, this is why even in the Gospels, when Jesus Christ was speaking with women, it wasn't because they were sinners that the disciples were amazed. It was because they were in open public and Jesus was speaking to these women. It is Jesus Christ who actually has raised women on equal ground to men. Now, you look at literary writings, even religious writings other than Christianity, they all, women were not typically mentioned, and yet Paul is unashamed to mention these women. I want to mention as well, Paul mentions several ethnic groups as well, Jews, Gentiles, and Greeks. And socially, he mentions the people that are wealthy, poor, the slaves, and the freed. These are churches which are diverse on many levels, yet united in Jesus Christ. And remember, it is Paul who said there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, or male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, as we take a look at this passage, the structure of these 16 verses, they can be broken up into three sections. The first one is, is uh, the greetings of Phoebe, the commendation of Phoebe. 
The second is personal greetings. And then we'll look at greet one another with a holy kiss. So we go here, verses 1 and 2. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and myself as well. So on the surface, it appears that Phoebe is kind of a feeble servant of the Lord that maybe needs help from the church. Um, You need to strengthen her up. But upon further study, she's actually a powerful, wealthy, high-status woman, and she has much respect in the church. Paul mentions several things about her. First, he commends them to his sister, Phoebe. It was typical back then to have a letter of introduction of strangers to the letter that was written to. It's to show that this person could be trusted as to protect the church from wolves and sheep's clothing. It is basically like a letter of recommendation. Now, Phoebe, it says, is a sister to Paul, not by flesh, but a sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, Paul calls her a servant in the church of Centria. A Centria is an eastern port in, Cor- in Corinth. It's about six miles from the city center. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses of her being a servant is much debate. It's used as servant, but it can mean deacon, like a male leader in the church. Now, I'm not here to debate this, but the main point of it is that she had a healthy influence in the church. Most likely, it was over women. She had an important ministry, which showed she was a reliable and faithful witness of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says, thirdly, that Phoebe had been a patron to many as well. The word is only used once in the Bible, patron. It means to help out, to be a benefactor to. She has helped Paul, and she's helped many as well. Now that Paul has introduced her to the church and commended her on her service to the Lord, he tells them to welcome her in and help her out as she has need. Take care of her as though she is one of your own. She can be trusted. Now just imagine someone coming from Sacramento and we get a call says, hey, here's my brother Tom. I want you to welcome him. I want you to take care of him just as you know him myself as you'd take care of me. That would be the same way just as a letter of recommendation, letter of commendation, We are to care for those that are are believers in Christ Jesus. Now, based on this commendation, it is generally considered that Phoebe herself is the carrier of this letter to the church here in Rome. Now, to be the letter carrier in those days, you had to be extremely trustworthy. This letter was most likely the only copy at the time. It was very important to get this letter to the recipients quickly and safely. Uh, Typically, Back in that day, there were three ways to get mail. Uh, one of it was through official business. A second was usually by the wealthy. They would hire a slave to run their mail or their letters. And the third was to send it with someone who was already going to that place. Now, usually, it was um, even if you trusted the person, you had to be sure that person would spend time to find the address. Because it wasn't like it is today. 5331 Rimwood Drive. Oh, yeah, you just... Google it, we'll get over there, GPS it, and you're in. You had to be sure that they were willing to take the time. I think that considerable amount of time and investment had gone into this letter. It was a letter to set the stage for the churches in Rome and to be a platform for the rest of the world. Case in point, we are studying Romans today. This sets the foundation of our beliefs and what we believe about God. Now, the trip from Corinth to Rome, by about foot, would probably take about four weeks. By ship, it would take about five days, and that's assuming those no, there's no adverse weather conditions and the, the possibility of thieves coming in to steal the letter. 
Nevertheless, Phoebe would be the perfect candidate to carry this letter. She had the financial means to travel, most likely by ship. She was already coming to Rome, probably for some business of her own. And due to her service with Paul and many others, she was considered very trustworthy. And just know, Phoebe is powerful and trustworthy, not because of her wealth or her social status, but because of her relationship with Jesus Christ. Now we move on. Personal greetings, verses 3 through 15. Now that Paul has commended Phoebe to the church, he now turns to personal greetings. We will look at a few of the people he asked to greet here. Uh, some we know little about, others we have more insight, but we'll take it a few people. We'll take a look at a few people here. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, are you guys familiar with them? The, the book of Acts? Yeah, there we go. Oh yes, we should be. Very familiar. Verses 3 through 5, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their nets for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. There's a lot we can, there's a lot we can glean from this passage here. Priscilla and Aquila were fellow workers of Paul and Christ. They were so committed to the gospel that they even risked their lives for, for Paul himself. They were a wonderful married couple which showed hospitality. They loved God's word and they loved making disciples. We are first introduced to them in Acts 18 where they were living in Corinth. Originally, they were from Italy, but since Aquila was a Jew and the emperor Claudius had commanded all Jews to leave Rome, they had to flee and they settled in Corinth. This is where they knew Paul. Both Paul and Aquila were tent makers by trade and they all ended up living together. Now, later on, we see them traveling to Ephesus, where Paul leaves them to minister to others. There in Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila, they would meet an eloquent speaking Jew by the name of Apollos. Now, you see, Apollos was instructed of the Lord, and he was serving in the Spirit fervently. He was speaking of the things of Jesus to others, and he was really talking about the baptism of John. When Priscilla and Aquila had heard this, that the word of truth wasn't being fully preached, he pulled Apollos aside and most likely, obviously he's not going to do it in the, the setting that he was preaching in, but he would take them aside, and Priscilla and Aquila would begin to explain to them the word of God more accurately. So they knew the word of God. They had an understanding of doctrine, which they most likely learned from Paul. They were able to diligently and faithfully minister to others. Last week, Greed had spoken about how Paul uses others to advance the gospel. Well, this case in point right here. He is making disciples here. He is using this couple to proclaim the gospel to go into other parts of the world. Now, you might be wondering, it's Priscilla and Aquila. Six times that they are mentioned in the scriptures, four of the times it's Priscilla comes first. Whether that makes a big difference or not, I mean, whether it sounds easier, Priscilla and Aquila, some people debate that maybe she was more evangelistic, maybe she was more spiritual, but the fact of the matter, this was a couple who loved God's word. They loved God's people, and they loved comp complaining. They loved uh, to praise God's word to others. And as scholars believe also that Phoebe, who we talked about in the first couple uh, verses, is believed that, that uh, Phoebe would be the one to carry this letter of Romans and give it to Priscilla and Aquila. It's all it's speculation, but looking at the wording, looking at church history, that Phoebe would give it to Priscilla and Aquila. 
and that they would be responsible for circulating that to other churches and then to make copies of this and circulate it as well. So now we look at the remaining verses, 6 through 15. Now in these remaining verses, there's many interesting characters. To us, it might seem like a graduation ceremony, right? You're waiting for the name to be called, and all these other names are being called, and it's like, okay, let's, let's get to it. But I assure you, they were put in here in the scriptures for a reason. I think it's important that we study them, um, and I'd encourage you on your own. There's a lot to be gleaned from by studying these verses. These are common folk like you and me, and when we dig deeper, we see a life lived for the Lord Jesus Christ, which makes them anything but common. They all had an impact on Paul's life as well as others. We'll look at a few. It says here, greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. It says to greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Now, I want to take Eponidas, for example. It says that he was Paul's first convert when Paul began preaching in Asia. Now, we don't know what he was doing in Rome, but we can tell from this passage that Paul cherished him quite a bit. It says beloved. Beloved is the word agapetos. It is from agape. And what the word means is to have divine fellowship with one another. It's not just that they, they, they hung out together, but they experienced divine fellowship. I'm sure many of you, when you've done missions or you've done service with each other, it kind of yokes you together. In fact, what a wonderful way to do something to yoke people quickly is to do something of service, whether it's a missions trip, uh, serving families, taking meals to others. And then there's Mary. It is says that she worked hard for you. Now, we don't know much about her other than she worked hard in the Lord and was dear to Paul. Now we move on. Verse 7, it says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. They were well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Andronicus and Junius. Now, due to the spelling of Junius in Greek, it's not sure if this is a man or woman, but we know they were relatives of Paul, and they were in Christ before Paul. It says that they were well known to the apostles, and that they were fellow prisoners of Paul. This takes us back to Jerusalem. Before Paul was even a Christian, he was persecuting uh, Christians. So he very well could have been persecuting his fellow kinsmen. At the time, they weren't, but... He was persecuting them because they knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Most likely, Andronicus and Junius were praying for the conversion of Paul. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus and our fellow worker in Christ and beloved Stachys. Now, it doesn't seem like there's much there, but of these men, he uses the word beloved and fellow worker in Christ. He is endeared to these men. The term beloved is from the Greek word that we talked about, agapetos, which we used earlier. They saw the love of God in each other. They had a deep relationship, and Paul dearly would love to see him again. Then we move on to Apelles. It says, verse 10, greet Apelles who is approved in Christ. This reminds me of James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, it is said that Pallas may have been one of the 70 that was actually sent out by Jesus Christ, so he may very well have been approved by Christ himself. Um, again, this would be speculation. But what else need to be said? Can you imagine if someone says, hey, look, you are approved in the Lord. You are set to go. Not only do you love Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you love your neighbors as yourself. What a, what a high calling that would be. How awesome would that be that people would know 
hey, he's not just a, a nice guy. He's not just a great guy. It's because he knows Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I find it interesting um, qualifications for an elder. There's, there's multiple qualifications, but one of them is how well known are they outside of work? Not just with Christians, but with non-Christians. I find that interesting because I know a lot of times being in the Christian household, it's easy to put up this persona, hey, everything's going good. I don't swear. I don't do these things. But I think when life is lived real in the world, I've met many people who I didn't know were Christians until I started sharing with them and they found out that they were deacons in their church, that they were elders in their church. So it's interesting. Not only are you approved in Christ because you're with your Christians, but non-believers see the life of Christ in you. Now Paul goes on to finish up. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristopolis. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Here he is greeting several families, and he's greeting Herodian. Then he continues on. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophina and Trophosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard. Trophina and Trophosa, it's interesting, means dainty and delicate. And here he says they worked hard in the Lord. And the, the word worked hard means to struggle well. So here, here are these two women. It's probably, they're probably from um, upper, upper wealthy class. Uh, but they're dainty and delicate, yet they work hard in the Lord. Paul continues on, Greet Rufus, chosen of the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Now Paul finishes his personal greetings with a woman he considers so dear, she's like a mother to him, as well as the brothers and sisters in the Lord. We finally come to the end, and he instructs us with a holy kiss. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of, of Christ greet you. Now, I know some of you might be squirming in your chairs right now. Oh no, we're going to do the holy kiss. <laughs> well, in each instance this word is used in Greek, it denotes a kiss which is sacred. It's morally blameless and physically pure. It is basically like a holy handshake, a holy hug that we have today. I think it's something to take a look at. The apostles Paul and Peter insisted on this, and the early church fathers took it up. And Jesus says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, can you guys think of an infamous, infamous kiss in Scripture which was not holy? Yeah, who said that? Betrayal? What was, what was the Betrayal? Judas's betrayal, exactly. That kiss was anything but holy. It was not pure and it was not blameless. Okay. You guys, I just want you to know, um, I know a lot of, there's a lot of suffering in the church here. Yes, this church here. I know whether it's marriages, relationships, work, life tragedies, or just the mundaneness of life, we are to care, comfort, and encourage one another. Life is hard for all of us. Being in the world can leave us disconnected from the church, and that's exactly what Satan wants. Hebrews says, take care, brother, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
So it doesn't just say every week. It says every day we are to encourage each other. I don't care if you're pastors, deacons, your leaders or whatever. We need the encouragement. We all need to encourage each other. Now, right now, I'd like to break up. Uh, we're going to put this into practice. Like I said, there's a lot of discouragement in the church right now. We need to come here. We need to build each other up. So what I'd like everyone to do, break off into groups of four, no more than eight, and kind of greet one another and pray for one another as well. And then in a couple of minutes, I'll come back and we'll close up in a time of prayer and the band will come back up. But um, So let's go off. Let's go ahead and break into groups of four or so. And I'd like to encourage you guys to ask, what is, what is one struggle that maybe you're going through right now? Maybe it's someone at work that you're having a tough time with and maybe one prays, okay? So let's go ahead. Let's break up into these groups. Father... I just want to thank you, Lord, um, just for your wisdom and understanding that you go before us, Holy Spirit, that you prepare a path for us to walk in. I pray, um, Lord, I just thank you that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I thank you that you set your brothers and sisters here um, to encourage and strengthen one another. I just really quick, a couple takeaways from this. We could look at several things. First of all, obviously, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly is to love your neighbors as yourselves. When you do that, you encourage one another. And not only just our neighbors that are Christians, but those that don't know Jesus. Bless those that persecute you. Thirdly, all these people mentioned here had some type of ministry. Whether they are servants, they were leaders, or just workers in the Lord. Whether single, married, young, old, we are called to serve the body. See what gifts God has given you and get plugged into the church. And fourth, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get in God's word. Amen.